0: The winner is Qatar. Goal. It's Shalala. The the
1: and Brazil win
2: the World Cup for the fifth time.
1: It's our final installment of World Cup Insights by Pinnacle, empowered by Infogoal Gareth Wheeler. Alongside Jake Osgothorpe, Andrew Beasley, Simon Edwards, we're there. We're at the World Cup Final for 2022. And I'm shedding a tear. I'm going to pour one out for the World Cup. The final 32-team World Cup as we know it. And what a World Cup Final it should be as Argentina take on the reigning champions in France. Uh, we're going to go through... Some of our best bets for this upcoming game uh, reflect upon the semifinal rounds as well. But first, before we get started, uh, Pinnacle took World Cup betting to the limit by launching a $100,000 competition named Pinnacle Big Bet for existing customers and new customers who are eligible to re- register at Pinnacle.com. And after the semifinals, the winner, who's from Brazil, funnily enough, a small consolation at that, has now staked the $100,000 prize on France to lift the trophy. Now, upon placing that (laughs) $100,000... No bias is there, right? right? Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Some extra juice involved in that as well. Uh, The pinnacle Big Bet winner is quoted as saying the reason he picked France is due to the following... Saying, quote, I believe that Argentina will have more possession, which is scary when you have a player like Messi, and France will try to play a faster counter-attacking style when with the ball, which is also scary with a player like Mbappe. But overall, I do agree that I feel like it's a very evenly matched duel end quote that's reflected in the odds we'll get into that in a moment and a funny story regarding the winner he almost gave up on the promotion the first round of the world cup after he placed a bet in pre-play on saudi arabia in their match against argentina their odds were in the 20s at that time when the leaderboard was updated he was excited about the progress and how he made out with the 200 points in hand but another player had made more than a thousand after he made a bet on Saudi Arabia pre-game and on halftime, which now we know how the game turned out was crazy at that time. But he kept the faith and made many more successful plays over the course of the tournament. After which resulted in him eventually landing the big prize so congratulations what a roller coaster ride it has been and a good segue into the success in this tournament jake i know you've had likewise success in your world cup bets over the course of the tournament haven't you
3: yeah apart from the semi-finals um yeah they kind of went to script didn't they in terms of the better teams qualifying i thought there was value in opposing the better teams um and yeah to be honest it it did look like one game too far particularly for croatia i thought morocco played really well in that in that second half (laughs) Uh, They just left themselves a bit too much to do. But yeah, I I mean, it's a great showpiece, isn't it? To have uh, Argentina, Messi, possibly his final ever World Cup game being being the actual World Cup final and the reigning champs. And I mean, as as, as cool as it it would be for Messi to win the World Cup and really sort of cement his status as the GOAT in many people's eyes. I mean, the fact that Mbappe could have two World Cups before the age of 23 is just ridiculous. So um, yeah, really looking forward to the game.
1: It's a dream final. I will put up my hand. I think it was like, all for one and one for all in the podcast last week. And I I was all about rolling with the underdogs after I saw Croatia get absolutely battered by Argentina. I pivoted and I made France my play with a handicap as my focal play. I had (laughs) a game against Morocco and thankfully that little bit of a pivot played out. But it is a dream final, isn't it, Simon? Argentina, France. I feel like the only thing that we were robbed of was that you know the the thing that we all wanted to see was Argentina Brazil in that semi final game.
0: Yeah, that would have been that would have been great. And it also, you know, we see how comprehensive the Argentina win, win was against Croatia in the end. And you think what could have been for Brazil? You know they they got the goal. They you know they didn't take advantage of the situation. And you know there was definitely some vulnerabilities in that Croatia side, which I think were eventually exposed by Argentina quite quite significantly. Um, again, I think it also plays into how well Croatia did to get that far given the limitations which weren't evident you know we didn't see many goals from them um, but we also saw them control large areas of possession in the game we saw them limit up op- the opponents to so few chances so I think um it, it, you know Modric obviously you know, taking this team so far and, and that that side being been so impressive uh it would have been great to have seen uh Argentina Brazil in the semi-final it would have been incredible the atmosphere we've seen under the, the fans getting behind Argentina and I know going towards the final there's Argentines who are selling everything they own <laughs> to, to get out here and now, you know, kind of find tickets. So you can imagine that the, the demand for tickets has been crazy high. And I've got some Argentine friends who are, you know, getting like two, three grand off, you know, off tickets offered to them now. It's It's gone a bit mad, but, um, you know, that would have been a great game to see Argentina-Brazil, but I think Croatia deserved their, their chance. Um, they did incredibly well. And, and, you know, Argentina are now really... Uh, in form with momentum behind them going into this final what what a world we live in like of the stuff i have
1: how much am i worth and is it enough to get a world cup final ticket Uh, (laughs) (laughs) andrew what do you make it what did you make of the semi-finals the two games you know maybe not the most dramatic in the end but two games that played out in a very different way
2: yeah, I guess they were a little bit disappointing. They were a bit, they were both a little bit one-sided. Um, in one of my group chats, sort of talking about the first one, Argentina, Croatia, and everyone was saying how bad it was. But we got to see that third goal, the, the messy dribble and the assist for Alvarez. So, I mean, it was still it was still a great game, but it, it was funny how it went really, because obviously Croatia have been so solid throughout the tournament. And then you've got Alvarez basically running the length of the pitch and somehow managing to score. So um that shouldn't have been possible at all. Yeah, he managed it. Um, and France-Morocco, I think it would have been interesting um, had Morocco held on longer. But as soon as France scored over uh, in the first sort of couple of minutes, they didn't run riot, but it was always going to be an incredibly tall ask for Morocco from there. And obviously they'd got that far and, you know, they had a lot of their defenders. One was missing, one had to go off injured, one went off at half-time. It would have been really interesting to see a sort of full-strength Morocco, but it wasn't to be. So, um, Entertaining enough games, but a little bit one-sided the two semifinals.
1: I, I kind of feel, and hear me out here, and I'm not sure if any of you agree. You can raise your hand if you do. I feel like what played out in the first game added a direct effect on the second game. Because the penalty that was given uh, by Libikovich coming out... And basically fouling Alvarez, I mean, in my opinion, it was a soft pen to give because the goalkeeper didn't come into the player. The player came into the goalkeeper. I really think that affected the Moroccan goalkeeper Bono in coming out and potentially making a play on the ball. He waited, he hesitated, he held back, and Teo Hernandez ended up putting the ball into the back of the net. I just thought that those were two critical moments in those games. Whoever scored first in the France-Morocco game, and in the back of Bono's head, he had to be thinking about what happened with the Croatian goalkeeper against Argentina. It's ridiculous to me, and I don't think that this is a messy stat, and I know some people will spin it that way, but Argentina have had six penalties in open play in six World Cup games in 2022. What are you making (laughs) of that (laughs) working theory, Jake? Am I on to something here?
3: (laughs) Are Are you trying to insist that the Qatar World Cup is giving the Qatar star boy Lionel Messi at PSG, owned by Qatar, penalties at the World Cup, because that's a, that's a bit of a reach. Um, six but, <laughs> and six, and
1: they went to penalties as well, Jake. It's, yeah, it's I, an Argentina
3: I think, penalty World Cup. I think, um, well, yeah, there, there's definitely something there. And you look at France, and they've conceded three penalties in three knockout games um, at this World Cup as well. And, and I think that says a lot about France, the fact that they're quite rash defensively. But also, from an Argentina perspective, they when they drive and they transition, they they do so with such pace and trickery that they they do generally generate more fouls in the final third than most teams and um, you know ultimately it yeah some of the penalties might be soft but you've got to be in those positions and and it kind of shows the aggressive nature with which they play to get high up the pitch to be able to win that many penalties um, I also thought I know the you know you mentioned a good point about the goalkeeper and the penalty there I think the other interesting thing from the semi-finals was the team that actually played deep and sat back won which was Argentina. They let Croatia dominate the ball and, and you know, we saw how quick they were in transition. Um, and France, you know, they scored the early goal, which obviously helped. But generally when France played knockout football, they they are the team that let the other the opponents dominate the possession. Um, and Morocco ended up with over 60% possession. And You know, I, I think if you'd have asked Morocco pre-game, you're going to have 60% of the ball. They'd probably say, well, we're going to lose the game then because they prefer to play the other way and have 39% and counter-attack. So um, I thought that was really interesting. It's something that, that this final is going to be, um tactically fascinating uh, for that reason because we know France are going to sit and drop off. Argentina play that press because we've seen them press at times throughout this tournament. And um, you know, I think that's gonna be a really interesting tactical battle. But I do want to say a big congratulations to lino Scaloni because I think he's been probably yeah. one of the best tactical managers at the tournament, switching formations, switching, you know, ideals, whether it be the pressing game, whether it be against Croatia playing four central midfielders to keep things tight and keep a lid on. Uh, on the Croatian playmakers I think he's had a really good tournament and um, you know that there's a lot of comparisons drawn in England between um, Southgate and Scaloni the fact that they're both fairly youngish players that have both played um, the national team and, and kind of brought through the system in uh, uh, you know from the backroom staff and up through the ranks obviously one's been a lot more successful than the other in terms of securing a copper America um, and he's had Lionel Messi but I think he's shown to me anyway that tactically he's a much better much more advanced than, than Southgate
1: Loading the midfield, playing a midfield diamond against that Croatian midfield really worked out for Scaloni and Argentina, didn't it? Uh, didn't it, Simon? And I just wonder what he might have in mind ahead of the final as well, because they've shown that tactical flexibility game in, game out.
0: Yeah, I think I called that. No, I think I called uh, the extra shoulder. I think it was important. Um, yeah, no, look, I mean, I think. One thing about this Argentina side as well, and I think this has been a little bit underplayed given that they conceded two against Saudi Arabia, but they've been so defensively strong if we look not only in this World Cup, but previously. So, for example, uh, Martinez in goal, I think it's been massively important. Everything changed for Argentina with Emi Martinez and uh, uh, Romero coming into defence. But Martinez, for example, in his last 25 games, so since he became number one, Argentina have had 17 clean sheets. Um, Martinez has saved six of the 13 penalties he's faced. So almost half the penalties he's faced he's saved. Um, and he's only conceded 10. So I think like Argentina's strength initially comes from that defensive organisation. And then I think as well in the midfield, as you mentioned, that they, they've transformed things as well. One of the strengths that Argentina have had over the last few years is that none of their midfielders are solely defensive or solely creative. Aside from Messi, if he drops deep, but he's the one guy who doesn't do both of those functions. Even looking at the front, Julian Alvarez presses like crazy. Then you've got Ensel, Ensel um, who is a number 10 or a deep-lying playmaker. So you can play in front of the midfield or behind the midfield and do both jobs equally, equally well. Uh, De Paul as well, full of energy. Um, Paredes maybe is the one who's kind of a bit more uh, defensive-focused. Um, but it, it's incredible how multifunctional all those midfielders are. Um, and as you say, you know they're all very, very capable of passing, but they're not going to, they're not Spain. <laughs> they're not going to play 50, 60 passes. It's very vertical. It's about getting the ball quickly, uh, forward as quickly as possible. So I think you'll see the same against France. Um, I think, uh, as you say, I mean, the, the fact that Argentina have won quite a few penalties and Argentina look quite rash in defense, whether that be over aggressive or at fullback with Hernandez um, not being particularly defensive-minded. They've kind of got the two extremes there, you know, a defender who's a bit too assertive and a defender who's a little bit uncomfortable defending. So that could be decisive. And as well, if if we end up going to penalties, as I say, Martinez is the penalty king. (laughs) Like, if anyone can put you off your game, it's Martinez. You know, when he's on your side, when you're going with argentina you absolutely love him and when you're against him you absolutely hate him <laughs> you know he's so smug but he's you know he backs himself he's full of confidence and i think that confidence has been so important in transforming because defense was argentina's massive massive weakness going back to 2018 they just couldn't defend you know it was like do we just throw all the forwards on you know what can we do now defense is their strength even if in terms of pressing even in the transition even at the back Defense is Argentina's biggest strength, so it will be interesting because Messi takes the headlines, but they're only able to win these games because they're so solid. I,
1: I've been very impressed with Molina uh, for Argentina as well. And if you're watching France play, I don't think it's any surprise the way they play. They don't. Didier Deschamps isn't willing to switch things up even within a game. You're like, you know, bring on a more defensive-minded midfielder to to, to, to see out the game. He doesn't. He's left Antoine Griezmann in. And this new midfield position for him, but it's just the players that, that change in the team. It brought a smile to Andrew Beasley's face with Cunate playing so well at center back coming in for Upamecano. I, I wonder if he's done enough to keep his spot in the team. There are some, still some talk about illness that's running through the French camp. So when it comes to France, Andrew, is it just more about who to play rather than how at this point?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, they've got a pretty well-established 4-2-3-1 formation they've used in every game, apart from the Tunisia one, where they put out a reserve team because the game didn't matter too much. So you can be pretty certain about how they're going to play. Um, there's been um, reports today that both Ferran and Kanate are suffering with the virus that other players have already had in the tournament. Whether that's going to rule them out, obviously it's too early for us to say as we're recording this, but obviously that would be a bit of a problem because they both played very well Um Against uh, Morocco, as you say, Canate came in, did very well. He's got more minutes for France at the World Cup than he has for Liverpool so far this season. Strangely enough, because he had quite a few injuries. And uh, he's had the second most combined tackles and interceptions at the tournament. And he's only played three full games and a a brief cameo. So he's been sort of heavily involved in the defensive side of it. Um, But as I say, he may miss out because of illness. I think the interesting thing with Argentina is whether they'll play... um, 4-3-3 4-3-3 just because England did against um, France and managed to nullify them pretty well. I mean, I say that obviously France did win the game, but they didn't create all that much against England. And obviously Argentina have used a 4-3-3 a couple of times earlier in the tournament. So it's something that they they could look to do. Um, but yeah, certainly with France, it's going to be 4-2-3-1. I think you, can, you obviously know the goalkeeper, you know the front four, you probably know the whole team if everyone's fit and available. It's just a question of uh, how this illness is going to take a toll on them.
1: Uh, do any of you have any other takeaways from the semifinals that you want to share or 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 anything like that before we just head into future markets in the final?
3: And uh, not particularly now. I, I think that's an interesting point Andrew makes about the Argentina formation. I think um the only issue you'd have is where would you play play Messi? Would you play him as like a false nine? Uh, doing the, the job that Kane did, which was effectively dropping deep and pulling defenders with him. Um, I think that could be something that really causes problems. Um, uh, it's just a case of if he will play on the right, then is Di Maria fit enough? Because if he is, you'd fancy him against Theo Hernandez. Um, you know, Alvarez playing off the left and making the out turn runs. I, I think it could be really interesting from a tactical standpoint. And I guess that that's the really really positive thing around Argentina is that flexibility that you mentioned, Gareth, that that they can adapt to play. We saw them play a back five against the Netherlands. We saw them play a diamond in, against Croatia, and I think that that really is important because not only can you do that from the off, but you can also make those in-game changes um depending on how things are flowing simon
0: yeah i anything think else? Um, yeah i just think i think um Giroud will be important in this game because we saw holland when they started throwing balls into the box going route one with their big strikers they, they cause problems for argentina uh girou is significantly taller than the argentine central defenders um so i think that will be an interesting challenge i think it will be a back four um, because it like, gives an extra man in midfield, it allows Messi to kind of very much play a free role and go wherever he wants. You have Alvarez up front push, uh, pressing, um, but I think uh, Argentina will play a back four, and it will be a back four that doesn't really push up uh, much. At right back, Molina may be getting forward a little bit more, um, but I think Fico at left back will sit very deep, and then you'll probably have Romero and um, Otamendi as the centre-backs. You know, despite my caution at the start of the tournament, Otamende has been very, very solid and very good. Um, and look, I think both of those are decent in the air. They're, they're not players who have a big aerial weakness. Romero is pretty strong, but Giroud is really smart. So, you know, going into this tournament when it was talk of Benzema and Mbappe, you know, I, you wouldn't expect, uh, well, Griezmann and Giroud to be kind of the two guys you're most worried about. But... Um, You know what you get with Mbappe. And if he's on, he's on. He's amazing. But I think the unpredictable movement and the energy of Griezmann and the aerial strength of Giroud will be the question that that I think is asked of Argentina. Um, I think that's going to be interesting to see. Whether Griezmann can find the space in and around Giroud breaking with that packed midfield and how well Giroud can find that space and win those aerial duels against the Argentine Central defenders. have already shown they can be a little unsettled by a, a more direct approach. Andrew, anything else to add? No, I think we've uh,
2: covered everything ahead of the final now. So, um, yeah, just move on, I guess.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say that, um, you know, coming off tournaments like this, typically it's the summertime, the summer transfer window is open. We're already looking at to January I know your beloved Liverpool are desperate to add to the midfield, and Amrabat is the name on the tips of a lot of people's tongues. Are, are you buying it that you can translate this World Cup form into club form? Amrabat recovered possession 51 times during the World Cup, the most of any player on record at any single edition for an African nation since 1966. Is, is, he, is he the solution? Is he the star man who looks most likely to make a significant move come January? He probably is, yeah. Um, I mean,
3: personally, if, if I was looking for a midfielder, I'd be looking more at Enzo Fernandes. I think he's shown a lot more to me that he can play in different ways, different systems. And Amrabat just, you know, I, I don't want to do him a disservice, but he has basically played as a deep-line midfielder in one of the deepest teams in the, in the league, uh, in the World Cup, which is obviously not how Liverpool play. Um, so, yeah, I think Enzo Fernandes. But the, the big question is, that I know there's, there'll be some rumours around Gonzalo Ramos as well at, at Benfica. Benfica are in such a position right now where, the, the question is, will they sell? Because you know they're, they're like Ajax; the they Champions don't need League. money.
1: Jake, they, they they've sold enough players; they don't need to sell anymore.
3: Exactly, and and you know they're they're playing in such a manner, and they've caused so many upsets that the question would be, would they want to leave? Because they they seem to be on quite a good thing. I mean, they've they've not got a gimme in the next round of the Champions League, but you would it be expecting them to get through? And and before you know it, you could be into the semi-finals. So. Um, yeah, it, for me, if I was looking at a midfielder, well, there's there's two actually. I'd be looking at Enzo Fernandez and Moises Caicedo from uh, from Brighton because I think he was excellent for for Ecuador, um, even though they did go out.
0: <laughs> no, just just want to jump on the Moises Caicedo hype train because I've I've been in love with that kid since he was. Seventeen, which sounds incredibly wrong in a footballing sense, of <laughs> <laughs> but he is amazing, and yeah, as I say, when he was seventeen years old, we were saying this could be the best midfielder in the world, and I love that I'm been proved potentially right he's on track, he's an incredible player, complete complete midfielder. I really like unahi as well for for morocco twenty two oh, yeah, years old, good, yeah, really elegant um a few years a few years younger than Amrabat. um I think you know. He's got a bit of the Patrick Vieira glide elegance over the ground, um, lots of energy. So I think Amrabat. For me, it feels like Amrabat's had an amazing tournament, but I, I have questions whether he could, con- you know, consistently reprodu- reproduce that a few years older. We've seen more of him in club form. I think Onana has come from nowhere, um, team at bottom of the French division. So. I think the price should be quite low, and I think he's on an upward trajectory, which I think could, could really go quite high. So he's one I really, really like. I also like him Capier of Ecuador. I think he's been an excellent 20-year-old central defender, Leverkusen starter. Really, really elegant, good passing range. So yeah, there's definitely some players who've boosted their value. And even you know lower-level players, like for example, uh, Jackson Mendes for Ecuador, started the first two games. Really, really good ball recovery, really energetic, and he's on a free transfer. So while he's not the same level i think those kind of profiles uh, for january uh, if a team needs a ball winner you know that just makes so much sense you know to take a little bit of a risk um so it's going those kind of players so there's definitely players who bump their way up to the top of list for many clubs i think after the tournament andrew did anyone catch your eye i'll be honest my connection cut out a
2: bit there so i'm not sure who you've already uh, spoken about it. but um yeah i think a lot of the names you've mentioned uh, i caught a bit of it uh, uh probably going to be looking at moves. Um, I think Mohamed Kudus as well. He was linked with Liverpool even before the tournament. And I think he could uh, be on the move. I'm not sure he's quite what Liverpool need, but um, yeah, he looks very good and uh, there's going to be a lot of interest in him in the January transfer window. I should think.
1: Wonderful. Um, a lot of the players and you mentioned Caicedo. It seems like Brighton have this stockpile of like emerging talent, especially from South America as well. The recruitment has been excellent and Uh, It does well, at least for their prospects of cashing in at some point, but also potentially to carry on their really good run of form in the Premier League season. Jake and I will be back with EPL Insights in a matter of days. We're looking forward to that. Get back stuck in to the Premier League. Okay. So the World Cup preview uh, finals preview is coming up in just a moment, but let's deal with some future markets and where things stand At present time, Lionel Messi, the overwhelming favorite on Pinnacle.com, minus 509, Mbappe plus 468. I'm not sure if you can make the case for anyone else. Perhaps Antoine Griezmann, the value pick, at plus 1423. As much as soccer geeks and nerds like myself love the way that Griezmann's played, it's very difficult to separate or come up with an argument that anyone else other than Messi or Mbappe would go on to win this. But the fact that Messi's at minus 509 right now, does this just kind of play into the public sentiment that people have about what this tournament's mean for, meant for Messi? Because Mbappe is being every bit as good as Lionel Messi, in my opinion. Um, I don't know if you want to take this away, Jake, and explain how this market works for the golden ball and why Messi is such an overwhelming favorite over killing Mbappe.
3: Yes, the Golden Ball is—it's um, one of the very few awards It's actually not stat-based. It's purely narrative, um, so it's given by journalists, and you know people vote for it basically. And I think the story around Messi and the fact that it's his final, probably his final World Cup, um, the fact that he's—you know—to he, some extent carried Argentina to the final, um, particularly against Croatia, who was absolutely scintillating, wasn't he, in that semi-final, um, and. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this pre-tournament. It was my biggest fancy pre-tournament for Messi to win the Golden Ball. Um, it just made a lot of sense that if Argentina were going to go deep in the tournament, then Messi's going to be a big part of that. And, you know, whether he was the best player in Argentina or not, he was going to probably win this award. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm absolutely over the moon to see that kind of price on Messi, given that we backed in pre-tournament. Um, and I just, I think I'm... I think I'm right in saying that the voting for the golden ball actually finishes before the final kicks off. So performance in the final, I don't think is taken into account. So if you remember four years ago, um, Luka Modric won the golden ball and he was, you know, he was had the most votes before the final. He didn't have a very good final, um, and France wiped the floor with Croatia, but he still won the golden ball. And, um, I think in 2014, it was the same. It was Lionel Messi who won the golden ball and Germany won the World Cup um he Messi you know he's good in the final but um not good enough I think whatever happens here they you know Messi's going to win this and I think the the interesting thing for me is can he do something that no one's ever done before which is win the golden ball and the golden boot at the same tournament um no one's ever won two and then if he actually won the World Cup on top of that it would make it the best World Cup performance of any player in history you would have to say based on the, the awards and accolades that he would have picked up so um, yeah, I, I can't see Mbappe doing anything to bridge this gap. Um, he missed his chance in the semifinal, really, because that was uh, the last chance people could see him before the vote was made.
1: Although, although he did create that second goal in a sea of Moroccan defenders. It's not as if Mbappe be, has been that far off. You can make the argument, Messi, three of his goals have come on pens. He's had two penalty misses over the course of this tournament as well. Look, this isn't Gareth Wheeler trying to tear down what Messi's done at this tournament because he's been absolutely <laughs> it phenomenal. It sure sounds like it. But, but, but I'm just surprised there's that much of a difference in sentiment because killing Mbappe for me has been that good as well. Am I missing a trick here? I know that Mbappe has one fewer assists. Then Lionel Messi, which is ridiculous. That's the way the golden boot is settled, by the way, that it's goals then assist in minutes. Shouldn't you just go to minutes, the most goals per minute's played? That's who the golden ball or the golden boot should go to, in my opinion. I don't know why assists come into the equation here, but Simon, do you want to weigh in on this?
0: I mean, in terms of, in terms of golden ball, in terms of best player, like, you know, you've got to look at it as a movie. You know, there's no narrative in Mbappe being The best player in the world wins another World Cup in the peak of his powers, you know, where's, where's the, where's the narrative, you know, whereas Messi, the old gunslinger who, you know, drags himself, you know, barely, barely moves, but when he does, he does something amazing, you know, it's the, it's the old guy in the corner of the bar who's, you know, throws the guy out the window and he's suddenly the Kung Fu King, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is narrative driven. So I can hundred percent see why the romance of a, of a Messi, uh, last, last dance is going to grab the attention, um, I think the golden boot is one that's more obviously up in the air. And again, you know, the, the potential to have the golden boot and golden ball to be the same guy. But I think that's a really interesting one because it will come down to is it Messi the goal scorer or Messi the creator in some ways, if Argentina get the win? Because obviously with Alvarez there on four goals, um, you know, we, we saw in the last game Messi made often his biggest impact as, you know, creating these chances. And and he's very capable of doing both. And he's taking the highlights and taking the attention for doing both. So I think it will be interesting, perhaps the role that he plays, whether he drops a little bit deeper to, to create or whether he's firing off the shots, how much space does Argentina, France give him? Um, he's very happy to do either. He doesn't necessarily have a strong preference. He's not a Ronaldo who would rather take the shot on than play the pass. Um, so <laughs> I think it'll be really interesting how the final un, unfolds. And that golden boot is very much up in the air, I think.
1: If this is a film, if this is a movie, you know there's cameras on Cristiano Ronaldo somewhere to get his reaction as this all plays out. Um, The golden boot market, uh, Messi minus 133, Mbappe plus 159, both on five goals. Giroud and Alvarez are both on four. Giroud plus 1625, Alvarez plus 1580. What do you make of all of this, Andrew?
2: Yeah, it's um, interesting as obviously Messi's got the edge with the um, assists. I'm sort of drawn towards Alvarez. I'm just wondering if he can make a late dash for it because he's got seven goals and two assists from his last seven appearances that lasted over half an hour. So he's in red-hot form. He's bound to be in the team and he's got Messi creating chances for him. So um, obviously he's he's rightly a long shot, but um, I don't think uh, he should be ruled out of the market entirely. And obviously Giroud, I mean, he would need a couple of goals as well because he doesn't have any assists, not beyond the realms of possibility that that he could do it. But um, I do wonder if the referee is going to have an impact because um, he's given a penalty every 2.3 games across his career right. and he gave one to Argentina at the last World Cup as well. So um, there could be a helping hand from the referee if one of the main favourites is going to win the prize
1: on Alvarez uh he scored 6 of his 8 starts for Argentina just 8 starts for Argentina what a re- revelation he's being considering um the lack of form of Lautaro Martinez um at this tournament for Argentina um also we should mention the golden glove to be um given out as well uh, Bono the Moroccan goalkeeper plus 159 he's the favorite Martinez plus 197 Loris plus 441 uh Livakovic plus 519 um, Bono didn't play one of the group stage games. He he missed the second game of the group. I believe it was uh, the win over Belgium. He did not play. I'm not sure if that plays into the equation. Hard to not make an argument for Emmy Martinez coming away winning this. Or am I missing something here? What do you make of that, Jake?
3: Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, you know, Bono and and Livakovic have been probably the most eye catching in terms of the performance because they've been so busy. Emmy Martin, excuse me, has been arguably the most crucial. Um, he's stepped up in the most important moments. He's got the joint most clean sheet tournament um, with three. And obviously he's got that penalty shootout. Um, you know, as Simon mentioned earlier, just how good he is at saving penalties. And he's got one of the, the penalty shootout under his belt. And, and you'd imagine if, if Argentina won the World Cup, um, kept another clean sheet in the final, then he would be um, a red hot favourite for that award. Um, yeah, I, I think if this is um, as narrative-driven as the Golden Ball, then it probably will be Bono that wins it, just purely because of the Morocco factor, being the, the first African team to get to the semi-finals. The fact that he was a massive part in that before before the semi-final, they'd not conceded a single goal to an opposition player, four clean sheets. Um, so yeah, he he would be probably you know uh, the right favourite if it's narrative-driven. But if if Emi Martinez has a stormer in the World Cup final. Uh, keeps a clean sheet and it's hard to look past him
1: we were were speaking about this before we we started to hit record here the third place game I mean some people roll their eyes say what's this all about it matters to some people as well I wonder if he plays and, and both goalkeepers here play and how they fare whether that plays into it at all or whether this just goes down as a meaningless third place game I don't know. Like th- these, these performances count. They they count towards their own World Cup records as well. When all is said and done, uh, so so we can't say it doesn't matter at all. It obviously holds some significance, um, especially to the record books. when it's all said and done, it, it's funny. We we talked about all these things. We briefly touched on Mbappe and Messi, and we might as well transition to the game itself because we've gone through a lot in terms of formation, various players. That, that may go on and have an impact in this tournament yet really publicly to the, to the public, um, to a lot of people that will just be watching this game, maybe not massive football supporters. It's Messi versus Mbappe. That's how this game is kind of being billed. Are you buying that headline? Is that headline fitting for what we're going to see, Simon? Um, are they worthy of the hype heading into this game?
0: Um, yeah. Well, they're both brilliant. They're both. And again, Mbappe is still really young in the grand scheme of things, but they're both going to go down as two of the best players ever. I would imagine. I think Messi for me is already the greatest footballer in, in history. Um, So look, and I think as well in this tournament, we've, we've seen them both drift out of games at times. You know, I think Messi is more intentional, whereas Mbappe is perhaps close marking. It's tactical. It's, you know, trying to close him out of the game. Messi Messi's often the most dangerous when you kind of lose track of him, <laughs> you know, mm. and it's Messi, of course, you know, the fans are all going to be following him and wooing and aahing every, every touch, but he's so good. You know, teams will set out to have one or two players who are always checking for Messi where he is, but when you lose him, when he drops off a couple of steps behind you and, and, you know, finds that space, then, you know, he's, he can make things happen. And that's what he's done in this tournament. You know, every touch has been perfect. <laughs> um, He's seen things other players and other fans and, you know, people can't see. Um, He's played those passes. Uh, So Messi is obviously the X factor. And and Argentina, the whole Argentinian team is complementary to Messi rather than just dependent on Messi, I'd say. That's probably the biggest difference between 2018. 2018, everybody was terrified to do anything. But now everyone is looking to complement and enable Messi with the movement, with finding him in those key areas. Um, of course, if Messi is free, you give him the ball. But the, the team doesn't need Messi to get the ball forward and doesn't need Messi to make everything happen. You know, Enzo can play a pass to Julian Alvarez. And these are two guys who, before the before the tournament kicked off, weren't starters necessarily. Enzo just squeezed into the squad. Um, Julian Alvarez was definitely 100% a complete backup to, to Lautaro. So, again, I think this is a huge compliment to, to the way Messi's kind of led the side because he is an assistant manager. <laughs> he's, you know, 100%. Um, and, but also a massive compliment to Scaloni in the fact that he's been willing to adapt and evolve the side. He's kept Lautaro on board 100%. You know, to to drop a player who, again, remember, like he scored two goals in, in the first half of the first game, um, obviously narrowly offside. Um, but to keep him on, you know, keep him motivated. And the fact that Lautaro stepped up to take that penalty as well, in the knockout rounds and to get the decisive win, I think it's been incredible to see the groups so united. So yeah, those are going to be the Messi uh, and Mbappe are going to be the star players, um, but there's a lot of uh, supporting cast are going to be key. Griezmann, as you mentioned, incredible energy and creativity. Giroud, the focal point. Julian Alvarez with his movement and his pressing. Enzo with the passing. There's a lot of a lot of players who are going to be decisive, but. If Mbappe has one of those games where he's unstoppable, then, you know, what What are you going to do? And, and Messi can make something out of nothing. So they may drift out of the game at times, but there's going to be fear and that might be an important factor in his game. You know, the ad- ad- additional defensive caution, just because if Mbappe gets a run, he's gone. If Messi gets five yards, it could be a goal. Right. I- I
1: think what you said is spot on in terms of the fact that both these players drift in and drift out of games. That's why when they play for PSG, sometimes it can be a little bit problematic when you have Neymar on the front line as well. And it puts far too much pressure on the players behind to defend at all costs. And now in this, this why well, I asked this question about these two players, they certainly, Messi and Mbappe, they could be the men of the moment. But will they be the players that will go out and decide the you know who goes on to win the world cup this time around andrew like the talent is you, you, you can't question it but there's so many other important pieces within both these teams that may trump their own individual performances in determining who wins the world cup
2: yeah possibly because obviously both teams are going to be keeping a very close eye on uh, mbappe and messi respectively uh, to try and keep them under wraps as best they can Obviously, Croatia failed with uh, Mbappé in the last final because I think he scored twice, Um, but uh, they won't be able to do that. Um, Sorry, Argentina should be able to do that a little bit better. Um, But yeah, as you say, there are a lot of great players on both sides. I mean, you know, if it was purely on performance, then you'd think Griezmann would be with a shout of the, the golden ball. But as we've discussed, it isn't sort of necessarily. But I mean, he has been fantastic. I think one concern for France possibly is Dembele. He's faded a little bit after a bright start to the tournament, um, didn't create any chances or have any shots against Morocco. But I think with him, it's sort of a question of, well, if he, if he were to be dropped now after playing every game, then who comes in? And I'm not sure there's necessarily an automatic um, candidate to replace him. Komen played on the right of the front three against Tunisia, but I think Dembele will, will keep his spot. But... Um, Yes, obviously a lot of good players on both sides, and uh, everyone's looking at it as a battle of uh, Mbappe and Messi. But that's far too straightforward. There's every chance that somebody else makes a major contribution.
1: Uh, Jake, is there one of these players, either Mbappe or Messi, that this game sets up for better?
3: Absolutely, yeah, Lionel Messi. Um, I think the the fact that we know that he likes to drift into that right half space where he's you know absolutely devilish, cuts inside on his left on his left foot. I think that's a real weak point for France. Um, not only are you playing against Theo Hernandez, um, who uh, we've discussed, is very rash and is much more thinking about attacking than defending, but he's also got no support because Mbappé doesn't do any tracking. Um, so I think that could be a real, a real good spot for Messi to find himself in. Uh, uh, we saw the success England had down that flank. Um, you know, Bukayo Bakas- Saka had an absolute stormer against Hernandez, won a penalty coming in off that side. Um, so I think there, there's definitely the opportunity for um, for Messi to cause some problems and. I also think the fact that that, that, Fran, uh, that France will sit deep, um, they've, they've done that against Poland surprisingly, uh, and played on the counter attack. And Mbappe's two goals came on the counter attack late on. Um, but also done that in the in the uh, game against Morocco, which, as I said, many people were probably surprised at the fact that Morocco averaged over sixty percent of the ball, um, and also against England, they were a little bit more defensive minded in, in their approach and what I would say is that the the defensive or the deeper block of France which is obviously built to try and create space for the counter-attack it, it's not been tested by a player that's got the vision and quality of Lionel Messi at this tournament um, if there's one person that can unpick a deep line defence um, or you trust to do that it would be Lionel Messi so that I think that's going to be really interesting as a, as a battle between uh, the creative genius that is Messi and the deep-line defence of France. Um, uh, and, and, you know, if, if, if what Simon says is correct, that Argentina will will probably leave, not push up too high, then all of a sudden the, there's going to be a lot of space in that midfield um, because I do think that Argentina, or France will, will want Argentina to press and the game could get quite stretched because of that. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting. And um, what we've seen on an Mbappe's perspective, what we've seen over the last couple of games is that teams have gone out of their way to sort of man-mark him. We saw England do it with two, three men. And what that does is it just frees up Griezmann because you, your attention is just completely turned to Mbappe um, and it creates more space for Griezmann to hurt you. So that's something that Argentina will have to be a little bit wary of because, um, you know, I think against England, he was really, really good. He was great against Morocco as well. Not only his attacking play, but his defending play as well. And, and he's probably one. That many overlook because of the Mbappe fear and fear factor. Um, and you shouldn't overlook him because I think he was a top scorer or joint top scorer, was he? He had five goals at the last World Cup, so he's more than capable of winning matches for France as well.
1: Okay, so let's take some time to go through some of the specific markets here that are catching each and every one of your eyes. Uh, let's break it down though, from um just from an overall preview perspective and share some of the lines that are available on Pinnacle. So the game is being played Sunday at Lucille iconic stadium, uh, Argentina and France head to head. They played uh, 12 times with poor Argentina with six wins France with three. There's been three draws in the process. They played in the round of 16 in 2018. It was France four, Argentina three and a game where France were the better side. I think the score line might, um, do Argentina some favors in terms of maybe t- telling the story about how competitive the game actually was. Cause I don't think it actually was all that competitive in the end. It's the only the second time in men's world cup history. Uh, and the first since 1978, that both finalists arrive at the final, having lost a game in the tournament for Leo Scaloni, uh, Acuna and Montiel come back in uh, returning from suspension Seems like the only issue in the team might be Gomez, who is a little bit of an ankle problem. And obviously, the full fitness of De Maria is still in question, has been struggling throughout this tournament with muscular issues. For France, Rabio was out through illness, as was Upamecano, who was on the bench, didn't play both dealing with flu-like symptoms that seems to be traveling through the French side. We're not quite sure what that means, but it's been really very much a consistent team that Deschamps has played. Kanate and Fafana came in and did a solid job against Morocco in the semifinal victory. Uh, France opened up as a slight favorite on Pinnacle, but now we're basically even across the board here. France, um, in 90 minutes to win, is plus 184. Argentina, the same, at plus 184. uh, Plus 209 for the draw. The total is being set at two on pinnacle, and it's minus 117 for the over, plus 104 for the under. To win the game outright, um, Argentina minus 108, and France, like I said, the slight the slightest of favourites at minus 102. Uh, Jake, we'll start with you. Um, do any of these lines catch your eye? If not these lines, what else may be um, appealing or standing out to you?
3: Yeah, um, I, I I think, I mean, I'm in agreement with the market in the sense that it will be a tight game. But I do think, in my opinion, Argentina should be slight favourites. I've got it the other way to, to France. Um, Yeah, I just think that, you know, Simon mentioned the defensive strengths of of Argentina and not only for the goals that they've conceded, but also the underlying numbers have been extremely impressive for this tournament. 0.4 expected goals against per game is what they've allowed, which is, you know, basically pot shot from distance. Um, And, and, you know, I I think that this we've seen from France, particularly in the in the knockout stages, that they haven't created as many good chances um, as we have probably expected. I mean, they played a really poor Poland team and managed to generate just 1.3 expected goals just 1.4 against england um and against morocco it was 1.3 going into the last 10 minutes and obviously they you know they, they scored the second on the break so um yeah I, I they've been winning games on moments france and i just wonder if that really is it, it's, it's not really a sustainable way of you know it's, it's not reliable particularly when you come up against a team that's as savvy um and you know as desperate to win as argentina and the other thing that I think it needs to be factored in is that, you know, Simon's in in Qatar. He he knows how many Argentinian fans are there. And it is extraordinary, the you know, the scenes that we've seen over the last couple of rounds, just how full the stadium's been with Argentinian fans. Um, and I was speaking to a couple of traders about this. And, and generally, when you've got home field advantage, you factor it in about 0.3 of a goal in the home team's favour. Um, and obviously, this is a neutral territory. But given the extra fans in the stadium, then they, they were thinking that it should be uh, Argentina should be given an extra 0.1 of a goal, and, and I think when it comes to betting, it's the small margins that matter. And, and if you're getting a 0.1 of a goal, then in my opinion, that would push Argentina um, into into favoritism, and and you know ultimately think that they're a little bit big as the prices. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a couple of ways you can back them obviously to win in 90 minutes, but given how tight I think it is, it is going to be. I'm more I'm thinking more the draw no bet. So Argentina plus no. At minus one hundred five. So if it does go to extra time, you've got that extra security if it finishes in a draw uh, that you get your money back. And and that's just the way I'd be playing this. I, I think it's gonna be a low event uh low event game um which is decided by a little bit of quality from the the little man himself.
0: Simon Um well I think yeah, as you say that the, the the fans gonna be so important for Argentina, it's like i I don't think this might be the best atmosphere of any game in the history of football. <laughs> like, just the fact, because the thing is, it's not just, you know, people, um, it's Argentine barras. It's like they've been given support, you know, they've been working with the federation. So it's not it's not tourists here. These are like proper hardcore Argentina fans who are going to be leading chance. So it's going to be crazy, the atmosphere. And I think that will be a factor. I think the referee will want to let it go and, and let things, you know, the, let the game flow. But if Argentina have got a lead to defend or if Argentina are chasing a result, there's going to be cards. So I think over 4.5 cards um, is seems inevitable. Like if Argentina lose and they haven't got five yellow cards, the fans are going to be like, were you even trying? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I, yeah. I think get over four point five cards on their own, Um and if they don't, they'll you know, <laughs> the fans will be a fool. You, know? <laughs> you might get four point five cards on the bench, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so I think that that one will be an important one, and and it will be interesting to see how Argentina respond to that to that crowd because in the Dutch game, which I think is really telling, when they had the lead and there was all that um, that surge of energy and the fans they responded by losing control of the game you know they they, they played with more anti- aggression and and they were they were more assertive in their play but they lost all their control so i think those swings will be more defined more refined, more pronounced in the game because of the fans when things are going well there will be that surge of energy and they'll keep going when things are going badly the ball will be like sucks towards their goal you know so i think as Jake says, that's going to be a huge thing, and I think it will mostly be in favour of Argentina. But if you can, if the f- players look like they're a little bit shaken or a little bit concerned, that will be amplified by the fans as well. So I think that's something to watch out for. Andrew, how about you? Well, before I go on, just to add to what
2: um, Simon said about cards, the referee, I noticed this average is 3.8 per game in the Champions League. So if he averages that in your average Champions League game. And I think 4.5 for a a World Cup final involving Argentina, as Simon says, has got to be worth a look. Um, Other than that, I mean, if you look at the sort of history of the World Cup final, obviously last time out, France 4, Croatia 2, that was an aberration on what normally happens. I mean, if you go back prior to that, you've got 1-0, 1-0, 1-1, 2-0, 3-0. I mean, it's very rare for over 2.5 goals and it's pretty rare for, for both teams to score. It's normally... Very low scoring. Um, so as a result, I think something like under 2.25 goals at minus 133 looks looks pretty guaranteed to me. And three of the last five have been nil-nil at half-time. Um, you can get plus 132 for under 0.5 goals in the first half. I mean, again, we thought that might happen <laughs> France, Morocco, and it didn't. I mean, it's it's far from a guarantee, but sort of history suggests that um, there's a reasonable chance of, of that coming in. And the only other one I mainly wanted to point out was about the um, corners, very few corners um, in these games normally. There was only six and five in the two semifinals. These teams between them have been averaging 6.7 per game um, in the knockout stages. You can get plus 152 for under seven corners, and history suggests that looks like a pretty good bet as well.
1: Uh, On the total, uh, you're right. Typically, the World Cup final plays to the under, six of the last eight, I've gone under two and a half goals. The two exceptions, France, were in the finalists of both. So, read that as you will. 1998, 3 0 victory over Brazil. And of course, 4 2 over Croatia in 2018. Um, This, the fact that it was on Argentina, they were my World Cup bet to win it from the start. It's time to hedge. I encourage any of you out there to very much do the same. you jumping so, off the train. That so, cheated. Come so, on. Hey, it's not cheating. But, but I will throw in a couple other plays that I actually like. So France to go on and win, it just doesn't matter when, at minus 102, is absolute play. Uh, yes, I'm absolutely hedging this. But a couple other bets I like. Um, Argentina to win to nil. This is where I shed the hedge because I do agree with you. I think that Argentina should be the favorite here. Argentina to win to nil at plus 352 jumps off the page to me. 10 of Argentina's last 11 wins in all competitions uh, have come from a clean sheet. And France has failed to score in six of their seven World Cup defeats. So if France loses, they're generally not scoring goals. Argentina to score first at plus 116. They've scored first in every game this World Cup so far. And if you want to go a step further, Lionel Messi as the opening scorer, um, to add juice to it, all the power to it, because he's the guy that's scoring the opening goals, I believe, in seven of the last nine times that Argentina scored first, it's been uh, Lionel Messi as well. Uh, If you like Alvarez to get right back into that golden boot race, anytime goal scorer at plus 305, I do think there's some value there. And my favorite play, actually, and it goes into something that Simon said. Emmy Martinez is such a good goalkeeper at penalties. I could see this game going to extra time and going on to penalties. I mean, last time Argentina played in a World Cup final, they were beaten extra time by Germany. But I, I can see it being tight and cagey. Argentina to win in penalties at plus 906. Um, I'm absolutely making that one of my plays, there's a lot of juice there, a lot needs to happen to make it play out but I favour Argentina, I do think it's going to be low scoring, I do think it's going to be tight, I do think it can go to penalties and I do think that Emi Martinez could be the difference in that scenario as well, so Argentina plus 906 so I didn't mean to completely disappoint you Jake, the hedge is there, <laughs> it's necessary, it's mandatory, but we'll make some Argentina plays on top of that, so how does that sound? Yeah,
3: yeah. I wasn't saying that as a uh, as a you shouldn't hedge because you know that's ultimately how you make money in the long run um you cash to profit but yeah I, i'm i'm quite happy to ride with the pre-tournament pick which was argentina I, I i do think that they you know it's not quite happened as we expected i'm sure simon will will tell us that that we, we weren't expecting as he said uh, enzo uh, and, and alvarez to be part of the team we we're expecting to change the tactics and system so much but you know the way in which they've got to the final the way in which they've played i, I think that if there's any team that can beat this France team, which is a little bit of a um, you know an international juggernaut recently, then it can be Argentina because, you know, like France, they were the youngest squad in 2018. So, um, you know, they, they're kind of all generally peak age for this, this one and they're missing some players from that. But um, they really are. They, they've shown why they should have probably been a little bit shorter in the market from the outright.
1: All right. So to wrap things up, let's go around the horn. Uh, with your official play, your official pick for this tournament, and anything else that we may be missing. Simon, what's your official play here for the World Cup final?
0: I'm I'm going for cards. I'm playing it safe. I'm just going cards. Just stick on, stick on the cards. And I think Argentina are going to win. I think Argentina will win. Um, uh, yeah, I just see the momentum with Argentina. Um, it, it, it is written. It has to be. It has to be so. So uh, maybe it's a bit of a as well as some head in there, but, uh, you yeah, know, there we go. I'm going for Argentina to win. Simon
1: Scorsese over there. That's a Hollywood <laughs> director, producer in his future. Well done, Andrew. Who do you like? What's your official play?
2: Yeah, I said Argentina at the, the start of the tournament, so I have to stick with that. Um I was quite pleased to get France and, and Mbappe. France to win the tournament Mbappe top school, goal scorer at plus 1,000 before the knockout phase came, uh, began, so... Hopefully one of those two bets should come in one way or the other. But uh, no, it's Argentina to win for me. Um, I think probably 1-0, something like that. But um, yeah, I think uh, it's a bit of an obscure market, but I think the corners bet looks looks pretty safe because there's there's never many corners. There was only four when these teams met at the last World Cup, and that was in a game that ended 4-3. So um, that one looks looks the best play for me.
1: Cards and corners. What do you have, Jake? What's your official play? Yeah, I I like both those
3: angles. I I think the cards, I really like the cards because both teams have got some real hotheads in there and, and, you know, if if one team goes in front, then the other's going to be trying to kick lumps out of them and, uh, it's just a shame we've not got referee refereeing again. We might get an over sixteen point five cards, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, in the corners. I think the, the midfield is going to have a lot of the ball, which reduces the corner count. I'm just going to stick with Argentina to win with the handicap uh, plus zero on the on the Asian handicap. So if the game ends in a draw after ninety minutes, then we, we you know we get our money back. And if Argentina win, which I think they will, uh, we get a nice winner.
1: I'm getting scared here. You know, consensus, I don't do consensus, but I, I I need to stay on the Argentina train as well. Argentina to win to nil, plus 352. Uh, that's my best bet. That's my best play. But if this game goes to extra time, Argentina and pens at plus 906, that's my fallback option for the course of this game as well. Uh, anything else to add, guys? It's been awesome to do this over the course of the tournament. World Cup's been great. And just wait for it, because 2026, we're all going to be out of our minds and our heads trying to do research for 48 teams in a World Cup. So I hope I you we said we are
3: all going to be around at yours. This is you incredible, come over to my
1: place. We'll do the yeah. podcast live at my place. It's <laughs> Toronto, uh, host city, in 2026. Uh, Jake, where can our listeners and viewers follow along with you over the course of the
0: weekend? Uh, um, into at, the World Cup
3: at Jake Oz, two Zs.
0: And Simon? They're at Simon Edwards SAF, you're
1: gonna have to change that to like Hollywood Simon or something like. That. <laughs> it's a working title. We're working on it. Oscar uh, winning Simon.
2: <laughs> Edgy, what about you? Yeah, I'm at bass tuned to red on uh, Twitter, so people can follow
1: me there. Right, I, we're gonna have like fans write in about this like upgrade instead of the live action shot. You playing the bass guitar? Bass guitar. That, yeah. that is that is the shot right there, buddy. Uh, Well done to everyone. And we want to thank you for tuning in to world cup insights over the course of the whole tournament at pinnacle on Twitter is where you follow along. You can find our vodcast snippets and betting strategy videos over at pinnacle sports on YouTube as well. Pinnacle.com slash betting resources. Of course, it's your go-to it's where you're going to find our comprehensive world cup final betting preview to help uh, inform your predictions ahead of Sunday's match, and of course, odds were correct at the time of this recording, and please gamble responsibly. On behalf of Jake, Simon, Andrew, I am Gareth Wheeler, and this has been your World Cup podcast, courtesy of Pinnacle and powered by Pinnacle.